0: It's great to have this opportunity to be with you today. And can I also extend a welcome to you here today, especially if you're here visiting. Why is it good to come to church? Because when you come to church, this is the house of God. This is where Jesus kisses the earth. This is the gateway to heaven. And today, you know... It's, it's easy, isn't it? I think when we come to this point, when we think, oh, we're going to hear some, a sermon now. We're going we're to kind of like switch into rational mode in our brain. I don't want you to do that. I want you to keep your heart wide open to God this morning because right throughout our time here, because God is here, he wants to touch us. You don't have to wait to the end <laughs> to receive your healing You don't have to wait to the end to be set free from that issue that it's got like a claw in your life and it's holding you back. You don't have to wait to the end to initiate a relationship with Jesus. He is here right now, all the time. All the time, he is good, yeah, right? So. Bless you for being here today. And can I just wish you all well as we enter this Easter week, because that's what we're entering into, isn't it? It's the Easter week. It begins today with this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Um, We're going to be turning in a moment to John chapter 12. So those of you who have phones and Bibles, if you want to follow it, that's where we're going to be turning to John chapter 12. But let me just give you one or two little background thoughts to this. It's chapter 12, isn't it? So what's happened in chapter 1 to 11 Basically those 11 chapters span the first 33 years of Jesus' life and particularly focus on the previous three where he steps out of obscurity one day and begins his work as a travelling preacher and teacher. And not only is he doing that, he's causing upset wherever he goes because people are getting set free from demons. Sick people are being healed. Wow, who is this man that has suddenly erupted on the scene? And so he carries on in this vein for three years. And then we have 11 chapters from 12 to 21 dedicated to the events of one week. One week that will change the very destiny of the world. One week. Why was it that week? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me if you know why. But that week changed the course of humanity and history for this world. And so we enter into this glorious moment. Hallelujah. So John chapter 12. I expect it will come up on the screen as well. And we're going to read from verse 12. The next day. The great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Hallelujah. Father we thank you for the word of God and we pray now father that you would indeed lift up your son before us lord we we pray that you will open the eyes of our heart to see wonderful things in your word we pray lord because we are your people that you will come to us in a new and living way in this moment Lord oh God reveal yourself afresh to us I pray and send us out rejoicing from this place amen so we said that this day marked the beginning of a stupendous week it's a turning point in the ministry of Jesus You see, up to this point, particularly if you read the Messianic Gospels and what theologians talk about Jesus, there was this thing called the Messianic secret. Whenever demons would shout out and say, you are the Lord, Jesus would immediately shut them up. He wouldn't allow the knowledge of who he truly was to be made known. But this day marks a turning point. The secret that he has kept under wraps to the nation, to the Jewish people, to others who sought him. Today, this day, Palm Sunday, he chooses to reveal who he truly is to Israel and indeed to the world. So who were this great crowd that were there on that day? Well, clearly they were Jews from all over Jerusalem and Judea. They were gathering to the Passover, the greatest festival of the year. And they were gathering from Galilee, from all over Palestine and Israel and Syria, but indeed from all over the Roman world. It was what you did as a Jew. You would travel in pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the great festival when God brought his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the freedom and the blessing of the promised land. So they gathered. They gathered in their thousands and thousands. But not only Jews from all over the world. Verse 20 says, Greeks, hallelujah. Greeks came. (laughs) Greeks came like myself and they sought Jesus. Proselytes. Jewish converts, thousands of them. Commentators say there could have been anything up to a million people in Jerusalem on that occasion, this great Passover. And not only are they gathering there from all over the world. See, this is why the the, the leaders, the Pharisees were saying, look, the whole world has gone after him. Over the preceding three years, as they had gathered from around the world, every year... Some of them saw the prophet from Nazareth Others experience his healings and his miracles. And so the fame of Jesus was rippling literally across the Roman world. And here they are, this massive great crowd. And they hear now. You can imagine the excitement, the, the festivity. It's the Passover. We're in celebration mode. And they hear the prophets coming. He's coming. Look, he's and, and as they get wind of the fact that he's coming They cut palm branches, the symbol of victory and celebration. And and they take hold of their palm branches and they begin to wave them and they begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save, save, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. And so Jesus comes in to the adulation of the people. They are praising him. They are worshipping him. And as, as was read earlier, even the very stones would cry out if they didn't. And they're all worshipping Jesus. Not only this, but they had heard. Is it true? Did he raise someone from the dead last week? Let me just get a glimpse of him. And so they were pressing in. They wanted to see him. They wanted to praise him. They wanted to love him. And Jesus, seeing what is going on, takes a decision. I'm going to fulfil Zechariah 9.9. So what does he do? Rick read it to us earlier. He calls two of his disciples and says, go, bring me a donkey, a young donkey. And they bring it to him. And he sits on that donkey. And Jesus rides triumphantly into Jerusalem. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. This is the way kings were brought into Jerusalem and enthroned in Jerusalem. He knew that in doing this, he would reveal who he was. And indeed, the people grasped. And so they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They begin to praise him. Jesus publicly declares, I am the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one, the one sent by God to bring salvation to Israel and to the world. But he doesn't only fulfill that scripture Ah, Jesus, Jesus, who are you? He is the seed of the woman that comes to crush Satan's head and to bring life to the world. And to do it, he will lay down his life. He fulfills Genesis 3.15. He is also knowing that in that moment, he is about to fulfill what Hannah saw. A thousand years earlier, when she praised God in that song, she said, what did she say? (laughs) He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. She saw prophetically, one day my son will anoint a king and from him shall come the exalted and anointed king of Israel. She saw it in vision and she praised God for it. Jesus knew he was fulfilling the Davidic covenant. So the great son of David, David wanted to build a house for the Lord, but this is what God says to him in 1 Chronicles 17, 10 to 14. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him. As I took it from your predecessor, I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Wow. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, not only establishing an earthly kingdom, but an everlasting spiritual kingdom of which men and women from all over the globe can enter into and enjoy. And finally, He fulfills Zephaniah 3.15. And what does that say? They were singing it. They didn't realize a lot of them what they were singing. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. The Lord, L-O-R-D, capital letters, Yahweh is with you. Wow. When was the last time Yahweh stepped out of heaven? It was when Moses was on earth. Right, He stepped and spoke through the burning bush. Now Yahweh, the Lord, God himself, is with them. Ah, hallelujah. So who is this one? He is surely more than a man. He's more than a traveling preacher. He's more than a healer. He's more than a prophet. He is God incarnate in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his being. He is the one in whom deity dwells bodily, God in the midst of man on earth. Hallelujah. Oh, God, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? (laughs) We will be there one day before him. Jesus chose this day to reveal who he truly is to Israel and the world. So the great crowd are anticipating the Messiah. But their thoughts were warped because they were looking for a a king to come who would release them from Roman bondage. But it's not what he came for. He didn't come to be a political liberator. He came to be a spiritual emancipator. He came to set people free spiritually, didn't he? Oh, hallelujah. He didn't just come to set them free, you know, from Roman tyranny, but to set them free from sin, from habits, from diseases and sicknesses and depression and hopelessness and despair. And wonderful news is he can do it today in our lives. And we are the evidence of it, brothers and sisters. And it's exploding all over the earth, this wonderful message. He chose not to sit on a throne in Jerusalem, an earthly throne. What is that? What is that? He chose to go the way of the cross and be lifted up and exalted to the highest place of heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, receiving the worship of heaven itself. For this he came and for this he gave his life. On that day, Greeks came seeking him. And this stirs something in Jesus. The very same day, the next verse beyond where we read, verse 20. And he declares, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he says, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it will remain on its own. But if it dies, it will produce many seeds. He begins to unfold to this adoring crowd Actually, I'm going another way. I'm going another way. He, he literally says to them, I will be lifted up. And that's a little bit like, you know, us today saying, you're going to go to the electric chair. You know, they knew exactly what he was saying, that he would be Crucified. And he said that only those who truly lay down their lives and follow him shall have eternal life. Jesus challenged the crowd and the crowd at this point are probably a little bit perplexed but still caught up in the enthusiasm as on the day when he multiplied the five loaves and the fish and it says they came to take him by force to make him king, he hid himself from them. And so now, Now, what does he do? Does the same thing again. He evades them and he hides himself because he knows the moment of his glorification has not yet come. It will come in five days when he's crucified and lifted up. Awesome story. Aren't you glad to be part of it? What can we learn from this today? What can we learn? Well, I'm just going to bring you two thoughts. The first is that We are called to declare and proclaim who Jesus truly is. We've said he is the living God. He is God incarnate. Do you know we are engaged in a battle? You might not feel I'm in battle mode, but actually every day of our lives we live in a spiritual battle. What is that battle? Where is this front? It's the theological battlefront. And what I mean by that is the world wants to put down who Jesus truly is. But to us, it has been given to lift up who he truly is. Yes, he is the son of God incarnate who died and rose again that we might by grace receive salvation from the Lord and have eternal life. The battle wages over this book, the Bible. Other people say, oh, it's just a book. It's like any other of the religious books in the world. But it's not. This is the inspired word of God through which we can receive salvation and eternal life. The battle wages over the whole issue of works. How do I receive salvation in this world? It's not by works. It's a gift to be received by grace. And we have to fight this battle with all our hearts. So I'm calling you, brothers and sisters, let us rise up. Let us fight the battle to our dying breath to lift up who this one is, the Son of God. And that it's through him and the Holy Scriptures that we find salvation by faith through the grace of God. What a battle. Oh, come on, let's rise up. Let's rise up and run as we've never run before. I'll let you in on a little secret. I'm 63. (laughs) Hallelujah, but it doesn't matter how old you are. I think of Moses, he was 80 and he ran for another 40 years and took a whole nation out of Egypt towards the promised land. Joshua was 80 when he took them across the Jordan into the Promised Land and lived till he was 120. Come on, brothers and sisters, <laughs> let's go for it. Let's go for it with all our heart. But you may say, people, where am I going to find the strength, the courage? You don't know what it's like in that university. You don't know what it's like in that school. I do. I've worked in a school. I go into the prison several times every week. I'm living in this world as well. How will we do it? Well, When Jesus said to the disciples, I'm leaving. Said, you can't go. You can't leave. You are the power of God among us. We can't do the things you do. Look, Jesus, you must be joking. There must be another way. No, there's no other way. I'm going. But it's to your advantage that I go, because unless I go, I cannot send the Spirit to you. So what is the key to us being these vibrant witnesses? It's the Holy Spirit. Through him we receive power. Spelled D-U-N-A-M-I-S, dunamis. You know where we get the, that's where we get the word dynamite from. Right? That's what Jesus said to them. You're going to be like an explosive weapon in my hand and I'm going to use you. You'll receive courage and boldness. You'll receive gifts of the Holy Spirit. You will lay hands upon the sick and they will recover. And isn't it amazing that Jesus uses us to do those things? It is incredible. And we are called by Jesus to go into all the world and make disciples. Let us fulfill the Great Commission and be spiritual friends to all, black and white, young and old, to people of all backgrounds, cultures, nationalities. Let's go to the poor and to the rich. Let's go wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we go. Let's go and do the work of the Lord. That's the first point. (laughs) a witness for Jesus. Ah, there's nothing more wonderful. I tell you, there are times when I have walked out of Nottingham Prison on cloud nine because I've seen God at work. I've got one minute, haven't I? I just want to share this with you. On Friday, I went into the prison to have a bit of one-to-one time with some of the prisoners. And when I got down to the wing. The officer was going around locking all the doors and he said, oh, well, we're locking up now. The, uh, the other half of the guys are out on yard. And I thought, Lord, I know you told me to come here. And I got all kind of agitated and worried. And, and I went out to kind of the lobby area of the, of the wing and I sat down and I said, Lord, help me not to panic. I believe you want me to be here today. I believe you're going to give me a divine appointment in this place today. So I kind of calmed myself because we all get fearful, don't we? But it's not about that. It's about believing the word of God. And I walked back into that wing again and I started walking along and I saw Jason. I thought, oh, thank you, Lord. See, somebody who comes to the Bible study. So Jason said, oh, should we go and have a chat in my cell? So we go and sit down in his cell. So I said to him, how are your eyes, Jason? Because two weeks ago, I prayed for his eyes. They were red, raw, and inflamed on the eyelids. It's some sort of condition. I'm not a doctor. I have no idea what that was. But he said, yeah, they've been really painful. I prayed for him. I said, how are you? He said, they're better. He said, it's gone. I said, I said there's still a very slight, slight sort of pinkish on your eyelids. We'll pray again. So I'm waiting to hear what's happened. Anyway... Jason shares with me how a week ago he gave up smoking and how he's just loving walking with Jesus and, and uh, he's kind of uh, now got hope that God's going to use him, not just when he gets out of prison, but while he's in the prison. And I'm thinking, this is wonderful, Lord. So I finish with Jason. I go back to the chaplaincy office and this is another amazing... This was the divine appointment. If that wasn't, this was, right? So... <laughs> there's this black chap in there he's, he's an, what they call an orderly, he's cleaning the office, he says oh hi Pete because he's like, he kind of knows me and I thought wow that's interesting so um, he's talking to Faz, the head chaplain and Faz is talking on the phone about his release so when I heard this I went over to him and I don't know what possessed me to speak so boldly in front of the head chaplain, Faz. I said, Oh, by the way, when you come out, do you come from Nottingham? He said, Yeah, I do. I said, Why don't you come along to Grace Church? We have a midweek service on Wednesdays. It caters just for folk like you. He said, Oh, don't you remember I came to your Christmas party? He said, I was one of those people that ate the donuts. Do you remember those of you who were here? He was one of those who did the donut thing last Christmas. He said, Oh, I've been there before. I said, well, come along. You know exactly where we are, Wednesday at 12, when you get out. Anyway, you'd think that was a divine, but it's not. This is the end of the story. The end of the story is this. Oh, Lord, you're so good. (laughs) Ricky goes out, the black chap, and Faz says to me, I want to talk to you. He said to me, Pete, I saw the way you, you just spoke to Ricky about coming out of prison, and he said how would you like to do all the interviews for pe- Christians who are being released from the prison? What? <laughs> it's like God opening a door. Do you know what I mean? And Saying, I'm going to put you res- in responsibility to just talk to guys as they're leaving prison, how you can kind of guide them towards churches and, you know, your own church and, uh, and you know, what I mean, stuff like that. And I thought, look, i walked out of the prison. I thought, look, I can't believe that. That's amazing. And I remembered that moment when I was sitting just outside the wing on that chair, thinking, Lord, help me not to panic. Help me to believe that you've got a divine appointment for me in this prison today. And look at all that God did. He's amazing, isn't he? Right, second and last point. (laughs) Right. What lessons? Be a witness. Secondly, the importance of following and serving Jesus. Jesus said we were to follow him and to serve him that we were to lay down our lives. I haven't got the time to read the verses to you, but we were to lay down our lives for others. As Heidi Baker says, be a laid down lover for Jesus. Yes, be a laid down lover for Jesus. Go out and love people, help people, serve people. It will take sacrifice, yes. But Jesus said, even if you give a cup of water to one of these children of mine, I will bless you. I will bless you. Rick, do you want to come up? Um, Let us then lay down our lives and love our neighbours that the world may experience the incarnate love of God. How will we do it? God will empower us as we remain in Christ. As we remain in his word and in his love, he will empower us. It all comes from the Holy Spirit. And we will see this family grow and fill this city and the East Midlands and the UK and the whole earth together with our brothers and sisters. We will see the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose. God bless you.